God, we recognize that your word is life. So we long to be people of your word, not just people who hear your word, but people who feast on it, whose lives are transformed by it because we are chewing on it and swallowing it and metabolizing it and it's, and it's entering into our daily life. So we pray that your spirit would illuminate the text for us, would illuminate our lives for us so that we can be people who feast on your word and draw life from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry, it's a fancy word for wait, I think. Am I right? (laughs) If you wait, if you wait around until you're better, you will never come at all. In our gospel reading, Jesus declares to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to, to his disciples who are listening in on this scenario, he declares that the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for humanity, for people, for humans, for persons, for bodies, for flesh, not humans for the Sabbath. The Son of Man himself is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the Jesus who also made the invitation. This invitation from where the song comes that all you who are weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall, don't wait until you're better. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined. Come to the Lord of the Sabbath. Does anybody need a bulletin? I saw that we ran out of bulletin. Who, who doesn't have one of these? Does someone not have one of these? Everyone? You got to memorize your head. Okay, here, pass that back to... Oh, no, okay, there we go. Um, I'm fighting the sneaky cry right now, just so you guys know. It's always when I don't expect it, the sneaky cry. Sometimes uh, on Saturday mornings or, or Sunday mornings, uh, Ruthie and I will dance. Ruthie's, uh, for those of you who don't know, is my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Sometimes on Saturday, Sunday mornings, uh, I'll put on some music. Um, I'll put on a record. Actually, I wish I could say it was a record. It's not. I just hit play on Spotify. <laughs> Sometimes uh, we'll just dance. My life is so serious. I have so much I need to produce. Can anybody relate? But in this dance, in this play, in this act of Sabbath, I am yielding to new creation. Are you following me? I am resisting the powers that are at work dehumanizing me, dehumanizing us. And I'm participating in God's restoration of all things. Do you long for this restoration, for this renewal? Do you long for freedom from the forces that shrink your soul 
and dehumanize others and marginalize others? Do you long for this? How do we heal? How do we, how do we find, in, in this world, how do we find personal healing? The shrinking of our own souls, the dehumanizing of ourselves. How do we heal from this? How do we seek the healing of others who, who are being dehumanized? How do we do this? Friends, I proclaim this morning that God has given us Sabbath. That God has given us Sabbath as a way to heal. Suggests that Sabbath is an explosive, disruptive, radical practice in our day. Sabbath is a disruptive, explosive, radical practice in our day because it exposes and resists some of the most powerful idols at work in our society. Some of the most powerful idols of modern Western culture. Today, friends, in this second Sunday of ordinary time, for those of you who are keeping track, in our ordinary lives, in our regular lives, these lives, these bodies that we inhabit right now, we proclaim the good news that new creation is here. God's spirit has been poured out and new creation is here. And God has given us Sabbath for tending to new creation. God has given us Sabbath for tending to new creation. And by practicing Sabbath, by practicing Sabbath, we resist the dehumanizing idol of productivity at work in our culture. By practicing Sabbath, we resist the idol of productivity and participate in the Spirit's restoration of all things. It's no secret, I don't, I don't have to go at great lengths to, to surprise you with the news that we live in a do-more-go-faster, production-oriented culture. We live in a do-more-go-faster, production-oriented world. This is not just a society since, maybe it's gone back earlier than this, but especially since the Industrial Revolution and in the late 19th century, we're not just talking about a society that's more efficient with getting stuff done. We're talking about a shift in understanding of what it means to be human. The system of production of making things, of doing things faster and better and producing more has become an ultimate good for us. And this is what's important. It has reshaped and distorted what it means for us to be human. How we think about our humanity. People in this world of production, this production-oriented society, people are no longer persons, are no longer humans. People get boiled down to producers and consumers. We become a commodity. We're producers and consumers. This is how we get defined. We get defined by how much we produce or don't produce. Or we get defined by how much we consume or what kind of consumer we are. Just think about this. How does this interface with you and your life? How would you fill in this blank? If I don't produce, then... Or I can't stop producing. I can't stop accomplishing. I can't stop doing because... How would you fill in that blank? If I don't produce, then things won't get done. There's stuff to get done. Things won't get done. If I don't produce, then I won't have anything to show for myself. 
If I don't produce, then I won't know who I am. If I don't produce, then I won't get the feedback that I need in order to be okay. If I don't produce, if I, if, then we might not have enough. Where are you in this? In 2001, uh, the U.S., the United States, our nation, uh, was longing for healing. We had just experienced the worst uh, single-day terrorist attack um, uh, in modern-day history. You guys are familiar with this. We were all collectively asking ourselves, um, as, as our, our, our hustle and bustle and our, and our production and our driven society have been disrupted and thrown upside down by this terrible atrocity, we were longing, we were looking for healing. Right? You guys remember this? Uh, the President uh, of the United States during that time um, addressed on, on TV how our society could heal from this, the president said, in addressing how our society could heal, he said, the American economy will be open for business. People need to go about their daily lives working and shopping. This is how we will work together to go forward. I'm not trying to like, do any kind of like partisan like, innuendo here signaling like something. I'm just trying to, to draw attention to what's at work in our social imagination. What's at work in our, in our minds about who we are and how we heal. What was revealed in a statement like that is not something that that president created. He was just, he was just articulating what was already true. That, that, that that's who we are, that we heal, that we restore our humanity by being good producers and consumers. I saw a recent documentary about uh, a street in Little Rock called West Ninth Street. In the early 20th century, uh, the 19 teens and 20s and 30s, West Ninth Street was a, a, a vibrant and thriving African-American district in Little Rock. It was a place of life and, and music and art, and it was just exploding with culture and life. And then um, in the late 1940s and early 1950s, in the post-World War II boom of productivity and mobility, all of that collided with increasing white anxiety around desegregation. And there were these federal programs that were instituted, these, these federal programs called Urban Renewal and Eisenhower's Interstate Project. And these federal programs about productivity and about mobility and about, about increasing how we could be a society of production and mobility, it decimated this street. It destroyed it. It completely wiped it out. If you have ever lived in Little Rock or ever driven through Little Rock, you know one of the major features of Little Rock, one of the things that, that, that creates the geography of Little Rock is I-630, which runs east to west in, in Little Rock, and it separates northern, this northern area and southern area of Little Rock. I-630, 30, part of that production and mobility, the urban renewal, the, the Eisenhower uh, Interstate Project cut West 9th Street in half. There's just one building that exists, still exists. This world of productivity-oriented bondage. It's not just an individual thing. There are structures of productivity and mobility that dehumanize entire people groups. 
What do we do about this? What do we do about this production-oriented world that creates a a never-ending cycle devouring itself so that we all start it again, so that we have to feed the beast? What do we do about this? Friends, tonight we embrace the good news that new creation is here, that God has given a Sabbath as a way to resist the dehumanizing idol of productivity and a way to participate in the Spirit's restoration of all things. As we, as we open up what this good news is all about, we, we see that Sabbath is not just a medicine for overworking. I know that some of you are so tired right now. I know it. I know it. I know you are. You need rest. You do need rest. But Sabbath is not primarily just this medicine that we take once we feel like we've overextended ourselves. Sabbath is not about vegging out. Amen. She knows it. (laughs) Amen, Gracie. Sabbath is not a medicine that we apply to ourselves once we've overworked, like once we've worked too hard. It's not about vegging out. It's not this, it's this leisurely time of escape. That's not what Sabbath is about. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Sabbath is all about the ceasing of production. Sabbath is about the ceasing of production so that we can tend to new creation. When we practice Sabbath, when we cease production and tend to new creation, we give a visible bodily demonstration of the reality that Jesus is Lord, and this is his space, and he rules over it, and he is renewing all things by the Spirit. Sabbath rest among other things, is all about creation and new creation. And in creation, we see that God himself, and the rhythms that he instituted in creation, God himself rested. Amen, that God is not a control freak, right? That God is not anxious about what happens when the productivity stops. Amen. When we practice Sabbath, we're, in a way, doing what God is himself did and doing what God has created us to do. When we, set, when we rest, participate in Sabbath rest, what we're doing is we're, we're reckoning with the fact that we are creatures. It's not primarily about resting if we need rest. It's primi- Whether we're tired or not, Sabbath rest is all about reckoning with the reality that we are creatures and we are dependent on God for our life, whose world it is. We are not God. Seems like an obvious thing to say. But we are not God, and when we practice Sabbath, we are embracing that reality as good news. When we forget to embrace our creaturely dependence, our limitedness, our creatureliness, the fact that we get tired. When we forget to embrace that, we enter into a process of dehumanization. We actually become less human. It feeds this ego that we have, that we really can do and accomplish all things on our own power. And then it leads to cycles and structures that dehumanize others. Sabbath is all about reckoning with our creaturely dependence, recognizing that we are not God and that this is a good thing. That we are dependent on God for our life. And then we see in the gospel, we see that in Christ, this Sabbath rest is about making space 
to tend to new creation, about making space to be present to the resurrection life that's available to us by the Spirit, that's unfolding in the world around us, that's unfolding right beneath our nose that we might not even notice. That's what we're affirming here. As Christians, like when we gather together and we do all these stuff and we make all these moves and we say the things that we say and we kneel, what we're affirming among other things is that new creation is here, that it's actually a reality unfolding right beneath our noses. And what Sabbath does, what Sabbath rest does, is it allows us space to tend to what's unfolding, to the possibilities of resurrection life that are unfolding right under our noses that we might not notice. Catch this, catch this. New creation is not about production and consumption, but it's about communion. New creation, tending to new creation is not about production and consumption. It's not about doing more and getting more. It's about communion and sharing in God's life. Notice the difference between consumption and communion. Are you following me? Communion is about sharing. Consumption is about getting. Communion is about sharing in the gift that has already been offered to us that we did not have to acquire through our own force of will or or pulling up our bootstraps. It's sharing in God's life and then sharing in life one to another. When we're tending to new creation, this is what I'm talking about. We're communing with God and with one another. Sharing, not producing and consuming. In Mark 2 and Mark 3, there's two different parts with Jesus and Sabbath. There's a part about eating, and there's a part about healing. A part about eating and a part about healing. And in the part about eating, we see that the Pharisees have a backwards, inverted view of what Sabbath is all about. For the Pharisees, Sabbath was a boundary marker. It was a boundary marker and a measuring stick. It measured who is in and who is out, and whether you measure up or you don't measure up to God's righteousness. And then Jesus, into this, proclaims. Notice what Jesus says. He's not saying that the, the Pharisees are making too much out of Sabbath. As if Jesus is like, you know, you guys are too concerned about the law, and we all know that I came and now the law doesn't matter anymore. Let's just all willy-nilly walk through the fields and pick grain and eat it. He's not dismissing it, right? He's come to fulfill it. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, I am doing what David did. And by saying that, what he's saying is that I have the authority to discern how God is working. I have the authority to discern how God's new creation, how his presence is actually unfolding in our midst. I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so if you want to know where God is and what he's doing, you need to to see me, to follow me, to, to... to notice what's unfolding in and through me, this new creation. Just before this passage, he talks about how uh, we need new wineskins because new wine is coming. And if you want to be able to to wrap your arms around the newness that God is bringing, that you need new wineskins. This is what Jesus is communicating to the Pharisees. He says that Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity in bondage to Sabbath. He's saying that Sabbath was a gift of communion with God. This is what the Pharisees are missing. It's not an arbitrary rule or a means of control or a way to be good. It was a gift. 
So the Pharisees are missing what God is doing in Jesus and his working of new creation, as well as missing Sabbath's original intent. They've inverted it, created it about boundaries and, and measuring who is, who is in and who is out. And that brings us to the part about healing. And what was revealed here is something even more serious than the part about eating. The religious leaders we see in the part about healing in Mark chapter 3 were far more concerned with not violating the rules and maintaining those boundaries of who's in and who's out than they were of the healing of a person. Do you see what happens when this theology of humanity gets inverted and turned backwards? Is that it becomes abstracted into a theological principle where then they they can rationalize the putting aside of someone's humanity. They can actually ra- rationalize in the name of God that this person's humanity is not as important as who's in and who's out. Jesus was angry, the gospel says. One of the only few times in the gospels where the gospel writer talks about Jesus being angry, about their being hard-hearted. They, something had gone terribly wrong. They were blinded to noticing new creation. They were blinded to noticing the new creation that was unfolding right underneath their nose as Jesus, the very life of the world, was bringing healing to this person's body, was bringing transformation to their life. They couldn't notice it. And in fact, not only that, what they saw Jesus doing, they couldn't notice it, they interpreted it as a threat. As a threat to their status quo. All this because they inverted and had turned around backwards that Sabbath was about tending to this gift of God's life, this new creation that God was working. When we practice Sabbath, friends, we resist one of the most powerful dehumanizing idols in our world, this idol of productivity, and we make space for tending to the Spirit's restoration of all things, tending to communion, to healing. It's so counterintuitive, right? It's so counterintuitive to think that Sabbath is the way that we heal from these things. I know that uh, many of you work in an office environment where you have, like, you got to put in 40 hours a week. And many of you who work in an office environment, um, I know because I've worked in that environment, and I know because I know your stories, that you often have to put in more than 40 hours a week. Like, how crazy would it be if you consistently refused to work 40 hours a week? Like, people would probably look at you Like you were weird, or crazy, or lazy, or stupid, or uncommitted, right? I'm not suggesting that you go out and like not do what your bosses tell you to do. I'm just saying like this is a counterintuitive thing in the kind of world that we live in. And I'm not talking about, when I'm talking about practicing Sabbath, I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm talking about the place that we have to start. Our beginning point, our point of orientation, the place that we have to start before we go out and engage, before we do, so that we don't simply reinforce the idols of productivity and consumption that are at work in our culture. Talking about making space to tend to new creation. This applies. This applies. In this world of productivity, this applies both to um, excessive work, but it also applies to obsessive leisure. Right? 
Like leisure as this, this, this escape from reality. This like working for the weekend, you know, like working until we throw up Saturday night and then checking out the rest of the weekend, whether it's with cheese puffs or Netflix or whatever you check out with. Alcohol, partying, I don't know, like whatever it is you check out with. This is not what Sabbath is. The practice of Sabbath calls us out of both excessive work and obsessive leisure, a kind of checking out and into a checking in of being present to what God is doing right under our nose. Friends, where do you need to embrace the good news that God is working new creation? Where do you need to receive this good news that your identity and that your worth is not determined by what you can produce or not produce? Your identity and your worth is not determined by what you can produce or not produce. And that you cannot find healing and true restoration through escape. Again, we're saying that what this looks like is ceasing production, productivity, in order to tend to new creation. One example for me is when I dance with Ruthie. I'm just not accomplishing anything in that space. It's, it's akin, we've talked about this before, it's like play. I've just got nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to accomplish. In a way, time is suspended in the fullness of God's life, of the fullness of time enters in. I'm just present. Friends, I need this because I could ruin my life on work. I'm the kind of person who could work, like, all the time. I'm not saying this so I can impress you. And, and the fact that you could, anyone could hear that or, or hear from someone, like, I work 60 hours a week and be mildly impressed by it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, he works 60 hours a week. Is a sign, is a symptom of how bad this is. I could work myself to death. Like, one of the ways that, that uh, God invited me into this practice of Sabbath when I was in graduate school, when I was going to ruin my life through work, when I could literally spend 24 hours a day, when it was a black hole of work and it was never going to stop, is I had to, just, I had to just make a rule and discipline to stop and to say that this is how far I can go, and I can go no farther, and that probably means that I'm not going to get the grades that I need to get. Can I trust that if I walk out of the library at 6 p.m. when all of my classmates are, I know are going to be in there for three more hours and they're going to get the grades and they're going to get the recommendations and they're going to get the value, but I'm just going to go home? Can I trust that God's new creation and mercy and life is going to be present for me? I had to stop, even though the work could keep going. What's it look like for you? What does it look like for you to make space to tend to new creation? It could mean stillness and silence. I know that for some of you, the very, like, the very thought of stillness and silence, of, of sitting somewhere and doing nothing, like, you can't imagine it. Like, you can't, you, like, how can my body do something like that? Just sit and stare out a window. Maybe it's stillness and silence. Maybe it's something else. Maybe uh, it's, it's going uh, on, a, on a hike. The question is, what does it look like to cease accomplishing, to cease producing, and to be present? 
How is the Spirit working in you? How, what, what about that question, if I don't produce then? Or I can't stop producing because? How is the Spirit speaking to you? I encourage you to continue to listen to this as we worship. Maybe um, during our, our prayers of the people, during that space when we have time to respond, maybe you'll want to respond by just, by just um, naming, by naming out loud before God and before one another, a one place where the Spirit's at work in you in this. You can use the phrase, God, help me to trust your new creation work in my job, my schoolwork, my time with family, whatever it is. God, help me to trust your new creation work. Amen.